from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Yes, 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 we are back. It has been a week since we had your attention on Rated LGBT Radio, and we are back yet again with another incredibly fun, sensational show. Um, And I'm super, super excited for our show today, Um, as I am every week. But this one is super special. Um, This is one of our favorite people. Uh, Julia Scotty is joining us yet again. Um, We've had her on a couple of times. This time is with a magnificent difference. Um, this time we are not just talking about Julia Scotty, the person, but we will be talking about Julie Scotty, uh, Julia Scotty, the movie. Um, Julia is about to be featured in a really wonderful documentary called Julia Scotty, Funny That Way. Um, and um, I've seen it, and it is a movie that, you laugh, you cry, um, it is enthralling from beginning to end, um, and there's so much depth and incredible things that, that are part of this film. So we're going to be talking to Julia, um, who is obviously the center of that. We're also going to be talking to Susan Sandler, who's the brilliant director, and I mean brilliant, who put it together, because it is obviously turning a camera on Julia, you're going to get good results. But this is weaved together in such a way that, um, you know, a master filmmaker is obviously at the helm. And the, the film is, is just stunning, in, in my humble, humble opinion. Um, before we get to Julia and Susan, though, I want to bring on my co-host for the day and always, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, Rob, and all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much for listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Um, the so we got news, news course, going on in the world this week. Yeah, the, the, big, the big news, of course, is the selection of uh, California U.S. Senator uh, Kamala Harris as the uh, running mate to presumptive uh, Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Um, it yes, is yes, a yes, significant yes. happy dance. Happy dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, it's significant. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's a significant. It's significant for any number of reasons. Um, and and which brings me to a point that I, instead of going through all the logistics of it, since our uh, readers obviously and listeners, rather I should say our listeners, I'm so much of a journalist I think in terms of reading, uh, our listeners have of course like their actors. There's something I'd like to point out, especially to our progressive friends. Um, a good friend of ours who's also been on the show, he's an act, just absolute uh, advocate for LGBTQ rights. Uh, he's a uh, person who also advocates uh, for stringent gun control, and uh, he's done a tremendous amount of work uh, in the space of progressive activism. John Becker um, wrote a piece this morning on Facebook. And I'm going to read it for our listenership because I think this really needs to be said. Uh, John wrote this morning, hello, 911, help. My house is on fire, and it's spread to the rest of the block as well. We're all burning down fast. What's that? 
Do you need my address? Oh, of course. But first, I need to tell you to listen attentively as I recite this lengthy, itemized list of grievances about property taxes, our local budget. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that I will only accept toned and or muscular firefighters between the ages of 30 to 49 who are at least 5 foot 10 but no taller than 6 foot 5 to battle the blaze? First, the fellow lefties and uh, so-called progressives who are bashing the Biden-Harris ticket, which in case you haven't noticed is literally our only electorally viable chance of stopping Trump and rescuing America from tyranny. This is how stupid you sound. Put out the goddamn fire first. That's how this works. Get them into office, and then we will hold them accountable. That's how this works. Electoral politics 101. I can't believe I have to explain this to you. Look around you. This is a crisis moment. Our house is on fire. And I can assure you, your performance wokeness, delusions of moral self-superiority, and masturbation purity tests will be cold comfort atop the ashes of American democracy. Get a freaking clue. And vote like our rights, our lives, and the survival of our country depends on it because they do. Now, to John's post, I added this. Mine's obviously a little bit more different. For the past 24 years, 24 hours, excuse me, for the past 24 hours since former Vice President Biden announced California Senator Harris as his choice, I have seen the left, well, far left, lose its collective mind. I can tell you that as someone who has covered the American political landscape since 1980, that the threat to democracy posed by another four years of Republican control of the Senate and the White House would lead to the unthinkable. And civil unrest that would make the events in Portland, Oregon, look like a block party. John spirited and angry post is 100% true, at least in appearance's sake to me as a journalist and as a political reporter. Made at this ticket, Biden-Harris is not your choice and is not appealing. I'd venture to say that the alternative is by far more threatening. I'll add this. As of today, Thursday, there are 5,215,958 U.S. COVID-19 cases, 166,361 dead Americans. Those numbers, which I'll add are increasing, are directly the fault of this White House, and Republican leadership on all levels of government in your country, local, state, federal. May you heed my friend John's warning or face the peril of the unthinkable. Okay, so I want to add on top of yours. This week, Donald Trump is trying to shut down the U.S. Post Office. To, to This week, Donald Trump has proposed draining Social Security. Donald Trump is the hugest danger to us that we could ever, ever imagine. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has cancer. She's holding on by a thread to, to with everything she is, to stay on the Supreme Court. Um, we are at a crisis point, and anybody who doesn't see that, who has pet issues like universal health care, you know, the New Green Deal, all of those things, all of those things we want to work towards. Black Lives Matter. We want to work towards that. We want to end systematic racism. And a purity test that isn't good enough until you find the right cab person to put up there, we won't be around to see that if this team does not get elected. 
And it's like it is unthinkable, unfathomable that anybody does not get that. And for me personally, anybody who comes up with a reason to not vote for Biden-Harris, um, I just consider you as bad as the worst Trump supporter. I mean, that's where you are in my book as of right now. But other than that, I don't have a single opinion. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I just, I'm a Canadian. And as you Americans are so fond of saying, I don't have a dog in the hunt, but I could tell you as a political reporter, as someone who's traveled around the globe for the last four decades, who's covered regimes like Trump's, watched them take countries and blow them completely apart. You know, everybody keeps saying that, oh, this can't happen in the United States. And I'm like, <laughs> I hate to point this out, folks, but it has happened. You guys are there. This isn't, you know, this academic exercise in civics. It is an actual reality. This White House and that political party have become so far into authoritarianistic tactics that it is where you guys are at. You either toss them out and get rid of them and work to fix your problems, which, you know, there's a few there, you know, racism and a few other things. But you're not going to get any chance to do it if you don't cut away the tumor. And quite frankly, the current politics of the Republican Party and this president are a cancer on the United States. And on the positive, by the way, we have the very first black female candidate of this caliber in an election. We have, you know, she's only the third female um, candidate, period, you know, in, in that place. I mean, this is history making. This is breaking a glass ceiling. And, you know, I, it's like I happen to agree with, with most of her policies. So, I mean, it's easy for me to say because she is my candidate. But um, even so, it's like it is progress, and that is supposedly part of the name progressive. It isn't perfect day one, but it's progress, and we need to, we need to push progress. Otherwise, we will only be left with failure. Yeah, exactly. So, with that happy bit. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to get happy. No, we're actually we're, we're going happy. to get ha- happy and serious because, um, uh, like I said, uh, there is a new movie coming out, and we'll find out how it's coming out because obviously we're in different times right now. Um, but this is an absolute must-see. Um, you know, if you're not into documentaries, don't worry. This will still make you laugh and cry. If you are into documentaries, you will love this one as much as you have loved almost any other one um, you've seen before. Um, I would assume you agree with that, Brody. Oh, I, I mean, I, I had the unique privilege and, and, and pleasure of uh, meeting our uh, Julia uh, through her incredible manager at that time, Kathy Caldwell, who's an absolute gem. Uh, Kathy works for a radio station in the Philly area, so shout out to Kathy. I love you to pieces. And we just, you know, it's one of those rare instances where a journalist and a manager just had a conversation on the phone like they'd known each other for years, and she was literally walking through the airport to baggage claim talking to me, and I, I swear it was just that it was a sense of immediate familiarity and intimacy, and then it transferred 
immediately to Julia, who I love dearly. Uh, I speak to frequently. Um, she's just a dear friend. I love her to pieces. And I, to, to see her story, which is so compelling, um, and I recognized it as a reporter. You know, my first exposure to Julia uh, was for America Got, uh, America's Got Talent uh, um, performance. And I was just, I was literally, trans, I was just transfixed by what I was seeing happen in front of me. And I'm like, this lady is seriously, seriously funny. Um, and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, when Howie asked her to kind of clear define, you know, issues, and she said, well, I'm transgender. I like came out of my chair screaming, yes, <laughs> because it was like, here's what this is all about. This, this is a fully capable, realized adult who is also seriously funny. And, and she's just, you know, she's the type of person that you want to just spend hours with. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, she reminded me, I think, a lot of, you know, to me, what's just the very best uh, about people who get it, you know, Julia, she just, she gets it, you know, and it was just one of those things. And so I, I, I just, everything started for me coalesced from the AGT experience to, you know, talking to Kathy and then just, you know, Julia herself. Uh, one of the things that I personally value more than anything else, uh, is to see her name on the, uh, caller ID because I know I'm in for a treat. And I mean, that's, that's just, it's going to be fun. And so uh, with that, I'll throw it to you, the host, and let's, let's have some fun. <laughs> I was going to say, shall, shall we stop torturing these ladies enough that we have them <laughs> yeah. on hold and not, not able to talk while, we, while we're busy talking about them? So with that, I'd love to welcome to the show the one and only Julia Scotty and the one and only Susan Sandler. Welcome to the show. Hey. Brody, I resent you calling me an adult. <laughs> that is very ageist, Brody. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll retract that one. <laughs> be be careful, Julia. When when we get going on these shows, Brody's likely to call you an onion or some other vegetable. Oh. Uh, so. God, I'm never going to do that one. <laughs> Mensch, 
uh, of the tenth, you know, the tenth power, and she has such a background in in uh, film that I felt totally comfortable putting my life in her hands. We we bonded as friends before this whole thing even began. So um, I, my my experience in seeing the movie, I'm not surprised at the reaction it's getting, and I'm not surprised at how good she made it. Susan and I, I totally agree with every word that Julia said. It's your your handiwork on this film is evident from the animation, um, the music, everything that gets incorporated into it, into the the whole storytelling. Um, and this, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is your first um, role as a director of a documentary. Um, what had you dive? What made you dive into this? Um, hi. The, you know, the background of this story is that uh, I've been a storyteller my whole life as a playwright and screenwriter and directed theater and, you know, directed some short films. But the, the impetus was falling in love with Julia, seeing her work and beginning to work with her dramaturgically on a one-woman show. And that was kind of a journalistic experience of trying to find out everything I could about her and to help her tell her story theatrically. And as I worked with her, that became very clear to me that the materials were on the table for a documentary, the idea that there I didn't, hadn't seen them yet, but I presumed there would be um, some archaeological digs into her performance in her early days as a comedian and what that could be in terms of the, the then and now of the storytelling and the dynamic of the then and now. And I had learned that her children had just come back into her life after a 15-year estrangement. And all of my nerve endings, all of my storytelling um, sensibilities just <clears throat> made it very clear that this this story was a compelling documentary and that was the form that... I wanted to, to tell it in. And, you know, I spoke early on, you know, as I was thinking through funding and, and all the producing pieces with um, Elise Steinberg at Participant, which is a great funder of documentaries of, you know, real size. And, you know, I said, this is my first doc. And she said, that's no biggie. You know, you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller. It doesn't matter um, that it's your first doc. It's about your craft as a storyteller. And that, you know, if you're working from, a really rich, complex, compelling character, which our Julia, and I can say to you as I hear both of you love her as I do, um, you know, that you're, that's the gift. You know, you've got great, a great central character, and that's where it all begins. And then, you know, the, the map, the storytelling map is, is figuring out where that goes. So I've spent five years uh, dedicated to this film that, it involved a great deal of research, a great deal of shooting, um, a great deal of following, you know, the events of Julia's life, which were completely unpredictable because that's what life gives us. And trying to then map out the shape of the story is is the craft of of the writer and the storyteller, and that's what I brought to it. So, yes, first time, but first time in in my cases. You know, I've been telling stories for a long time, and I just felt very comfortable telling Julia's story because it was, you know, she comes from such a strong place of truth, and that that's what I'm drawn to as well. So it, you know, there was simpatico from from day one, and then a whole lot of hard work, five years of it. 
Yeah, no, it's there was so many parts of the film that the storytelling expertise that you brought to it was evident because it it never lets up. You 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 are following the narrative throughout and it's weaved together so seamlessly. So I would say that your background made it an exceptional documentary where somebody who was just used to throwing cameras up somewhere calling themselves a documentary filmmaker may not have been able to tell the story as you did. Um, one of the things in the film that stood out for me was you captured moments on film that were the moment. I mean, it was like, it, it wasn't just telling a story in the past, but you got different things that happened live and, and Julia was experiencing live in that moment um, one of which was hearing her son refer to her as mom for the very first time ever. And another was watching past episodes um, in her former life where she was actually delivering on stage um, homophobic and transphobic material and not having remembered doing that. Um, were those instances, was there, some, was there a little bit of a plan behind that? Or did, did those just happen and you happened to have the camera on? No, nothing Nothing is manipulated. You know, documentary can't be if it's documentary. It's not, you know, docudrama, so it's it's truth. But, you know, the, the first incident happened, um, Julia was speaking at um, a chapter of PFLAG, and um, she had, a, you know, just a beautiful audience of people, and we had invited... Um, she had invited Dan, her son, to join us, um, and it, you know, it was an organic event. It's something that happened, and we, you know, fortunately were there. The other scene that you mentioned, um, I had worked for a year going through all of the archival material and finding, you know, restoring it because a lot of it was not stored carefully because, you know, a lot of the materials that comedians capture um, – you know, just to have records of performances are, you know, were not beautifully shot, and sometimes, you know, the storage of of this old video was not great. So there was a lot of just restoration of the footage, and then looking at it and finding pieces that were the most interesting. And I put together, I compiled a kind of interesting collection of those moments for a day where Dan was visiting Julia and they were going to be looking at materials and um, so in the sense that you know what I had prepared was this compilation and inside of that compilation was this material Um, and it you know it was the the relationship that Julia is building with Dan that we get to see that is all sort of layered through their conversations about comedy because Dan is a really smart um, sketch writer and, and comedian in and, and his own right. And so that became a place for them to meet and talk and, and the exploration of her work. And that material was the discovery for Julia that was um, startling and, you know, a very emotional moment, obviously. No, it was and very poignant. Julia, how did you feel in that moment watching that? You had the camera on you, um, and you were seeing this this material that, you know, from what you could see in the film, you didn't even remember that you had been part of. I didn't remember it um, until I 
when I saw it, it just kind of shocked me because my, uh, you know, my sensibilities have been, have been woke, I guess is the word, you know, because of what I've been through. And I think that, you know, thinking back to those times in my life, that, that was probably in the mid-90s maybe, uh, I was going through a lot of in, in this, uh, issues uh, regarding my sexuality. There was already an awareness that something was not right in, with me internally. And um, I, I, I couldn't admit to myself that I might be gay. Uh, it frightened me to no end. God knows I didn't even think about being transgender because that wasn't even a possibility um, at the time. And so I guess I, my response to uh, feeling that way was to just go, you know, make a 180 and try to be as macho as I could. I'm looking at looking at it. I'm 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 totally ashamed of what I did. Uh, I'm ashamed of it, and I can't. Uh, you know, I I think now that the movie's going to really be seen by large audiences, it it embarrasses me that I ever ever talk, spoke that way. So I I that's about how I feel. <laughs> well, let I, me inject I, I something here get... because as a journalist, and I, I'm saying this now as a journalist and an editor and a historian, because that's the hat that I wear. The word con- the word context has to be placed in this. Um, one of the things, and the reason I've been a trans ally for uh, almost 37 years, is because there was a time period when that was an unknown. It wasn't decidedly a factor that had the public forum. It wasn't even a factor within the gay movement so much because it was such a niche area. And that the biggest thing, and, and, and Susan, I've, I've got to give you credit as a fellow storyteller. You definitely placed this in superb context. But, Julia, it's, it's, I, I know where you're at, and, and you're a dear friend, and I know exactly what you're saying, but I'm telling you as a historian and as uh, a journalist that some things have to be placed in the context of the time that it occurred. One of the things that when I teach journalism, I tell the kids, I had a professor of sociology uh, when I was going to school, and the meme or mantra, as today's kids would say, you are who you are because of where you were when. And it's talking about environment more than anything else. And I think that that's really important to keep in mind is the context of this is based on a lot of that because, as you point out in the film, it was a there was a huge tremendous learning curve there, and there was a thing of there was a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties, and you know I I just look at it in context and it makes me embrace you know your story and you even more so Julia and and Susan as a fellow storyteller and as a journalist and historian I've got to give you props for that because it's contextually placed really well. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it in a different context even. Because unless you are a kid who has lived in the last 15 years whose family from the get-go was you be who you are, we totally support you no matter what, et cetera, et cetera, if you were born any time before then, Julia, we have all Mm -hmm. done that, all of us. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, and anybody who says they didn't, I would say is a liar. Because it's like when – when in those days, when I was in high school and I was struggling with my sexuality, you, guess who was telling the biggest homophobic jokes? Me. <laughs> and I didn't tell them as well as yeah. you did. 
So otherwise, <laughs> different career path. But but I still try. You know, it's like it's it's. I mean, and and that is why some of the biggest homophobic people around we know what they have in their closet because we know why they are deflecting. Um, it is mm-hmm. it is not only just a conscious look over there. Don't look at me because, you know, I know what you're going to see. It is also internal where if, if we identify as a homophobic person, then we are confident that we're not who we actually know we are. So, well, yeah, I have no, heard, no I have harm, no foul. From, that's right. I have heard from other, I, you know, I've done a lot of interviews over the past couple of weeks with, with the movie and um, some with gay publications. And I've heard that from several people that, you know, they, they, they did they they felt the same way and did the same things when they were struggling with it. So I mean, yeah, I get that. Uh, intellectually I get it, you know <laughs> my heart is like, Oh God, what was I thinking? Uh, but Susan she got me, you know. Uh it, it's it's honest. It was not scripted and uh, the reaction is real, believe me. Yeah, no, and that's one of the things that makes this movie so great is because it is no holds barred, it is real, and and when you see that scene as an audience member, you don't think, oh, how could she? You think, of course she did. And the fact that they put this, they being Susan, put this in this movie means we're seeing the real story here. We are not getting a sugar-coated um, version of that. And I, that was one of my takeaways from watching this film is I really got a bigger sense of what a transgender person really goes through in a successful story, which I would consider yours to be, where you came out, you transitioned, you went on America Got Talent, you know, it's like everything, you know, came up roses, la-di-da. And this could easily be sort of that, you know, gee, isn't that great coming out story. But to see the painful things that happened in your life, and um, I'm going to read a quote that you gave elsewhere. Um, You actually gave this quote when uh, you were making a comment about when Caitlyn Jenner came out. You said, quote, I would... um, I would never get on stage. Oops, I'm sorry. That's not even the quote. Wrong quote. Um, you were talking about um, about celebrity and coming out, and you said it is ne- never an easy process, whether you're a public figure or not. You are essentially killing your old self and ending your old life, and with that comes the history you've built with friends and family. Some are very accepting, but most are not. That is why the suicide attempt rate for trans folk is still at 41%. And I think giving the depth to your story that you guys have in this documentary lets us, the rest of us understand that even in, in what might even be considered a smooth transition isn't, isn't at all. It is complex. And, and I don't know if I have a question in there. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I think it took somebody with Susan's eye, with Susan's sense of storytelling. Uh, her genius really is is in that. And she um, she just, it was a labor of love. Susan, jump in here. I mean, it was a labor of love uh, over this last five years. She's, I've never seen anybody work so hard in my life. 
as her. I, I, you know, she's a role model for me and an inspiration. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, you know that, you crazy woman, you. I mean, Susan, seriously, I, I'm telling you, as someone who writes for a living, who is constantly, you know, being given stories, reading stories, telling stories, uh, and you did a magnificent job. The, the word that I would use as an editor to sum up this picture compelling and right. i mean thank you that that's what as storytellers i think we really strive for it is that we we really need you know stories to be compelling but what makes our job easier is you know when we craft one that we know from the get-go okay is going to have you know that kind of uh, you know uh, an effect on people and and especially um, looking at it, um, you know, what was it the great writer Kurt Vonnegut said years and years ago that the, the conflicts have all got to be present in the story for it to be, you know, compelling, you know, man versus man, man versus self, man versus blah, 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 uh, or woman, depending on gender, of course, obviously. But see, all those elements are there. And, and more importantly than that, um, the thing that I saw that I liked, and I have a lot of friends who are documentary filmmakers and, and filmmakers in general, that I appreciated the most from you um, is the brilliant touch of adding it together, okay, into an easily digestible, compelling timeline interspersed uh, with the other elements and a great score, by the way, musically underneath it. Okay, by Matt Hutchinson, the, yes. Yeah, I, just brilliant score, by the way. But, you know, I think, you know, you honestly, truly do, you know, deserve props as a filmmaker on this one. Julia's right, okay? I mean, even if it wasn't about Julia, if this was even someone else, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you serious props here, okay? And I've been around your, your business for probably working on it just as long as I've been a reporter. So, yeah, well done. Thank you. It's, you know, it's kind of an extraordinarily challenging moment to be bringing a film into the world. You know, Julie and I joke about uh, carrying this baby for five years, and now, you know, we've just given birth. So uh, it's, a, it's a very awkward time to be introducing our baby to the world. The festival circuit is not what we dreamed it would be. The, the dream was here's the baby, and uh, traveling with the film is the wonderful Julia Scotty doing stand-up. So we have a screening, and then we step down the street to a club where we get to see Julia live. That was the vision for what our festival circuit was going to look like. And, of course, you know, programmers would salivate because it's such an exciting prospect to have the subject as Julia Scotty uh, in performance, uh, you know, in, in concert with the film. So it was a shocker to have everything shut down and, um, I had my big pile of DCPs ready to travel with a film, and suddenly the virtual festival circuit is this, you know, it's a very different world. We're, you know, I, I hear from viewers, but it's, you know, it's nice emails occasionally and texts and comments, but it's not the feeling of, of being in the room and experiencing the film with an audience live. And that's, you know, that's a kind of heartache, um, but the... The happy side is we're we're hearing from a lot of people like you who are experiencing the film in a really powerful way, 
at a time when I think we all need to feel, you know, we're all feeling isolated and um, kind of emotionally spent without being able to invest ourselves in stories that feel rewarding. So I'm I'm very happy to be bringing the film out to people who feel like there's a real appetite for it, for the truth and um, the humor and the emotional, um, complete emotional honesty of what Julia does both, you know, in her public and private, and the private being what she allowed me to capture. So, you know, I... I mourn the moment of not being able to sit with you in a theater and, and experience this film with you, but I'm so grateful that you both are hosting us today and giving us a chance to talk about the film and this um, bumpier ride than I imagined to bringing it to our audience. So that's that's the process mm-hmm. we're in. So every conversation that we have like this, every uh, spreading the word and um, getting people excited about the opportunity to see it, it's currently... Um, being streamed at uh, two festivals, one, Iglif in Austin, and that's uh, Geoblocked, which is part of the, the story with virtual festival distributions. You know, people don't come and physically sit in a theater, so for the future of the film's distribution, we have to be very careful about not overexposing it in a streaming um, mode. So the limitations that festivals consciously put on the cap number of views and geo-blocked in most cases. We chose to, with the other festival that we're, we're very honored to be at, the Bentonville Film Festival, which is a great festival started by Gina Davis and company, and it's, um, it's placed in Bentonville, Arkansas, because Walmart is the big, big Daddy Warbucks sponsor, but mm-hmm. the, the spirit of it is international and this year because of the covid crisis it is international so the festival is traveling everywhere virtually we chose for our protecting what we had to protect in the way of the distribution we're doing a one screening one virtual screening tomorrow night um at 8 p.m central 9 p.m eastern uh, 6 p.m pacific and those tickets can be purchased through the website at Bentonville Film Festival. Um, and we'll have a live Q&A with Julia and myself afterwards. Um, so we're just treading very carefully because we have to in terms of the exposure of the film in this virtual space. But um, we're getting there, and we're in conversation with a distributor now. So it won't be long, but um, I can't announce precisely where that's, we're going to land, but it's, you know, it's happening. <laughs> well, well, it'll be it'll be exciting to watch, and um, yeah, and I totally feel for the having to shift with the the COVID environment and you know lack of movie theaters and all the the um, those type of things. Uh, I would say on the sort of the plus side, um, the COVID experience has brought I think a consciousness of family intimacy, and the mm-hmm. film touches that with yes. um, Julia, the relationship between you and your kids, who mm-hmm. you, from my understanding, you've reconnected with not that long ago. How was, and they are definitely stars of this film as well. Um, what were their feelings about getting involved in this project? Um, they, uh, at the time Susan approached me about bringing them into it, we were just, uh, we were just sort of at the beginning of reconciling. So I 
said to her, and I think I think this is the way it went, Susan. Correct me if I'm wrong. I said to her, "Look, I I'm not going to pressure them. I don't want to make them feel like a that I'm just reconnecting because I want them in the film, you know, and b I don't want to distance them even more. So I think I I I gave them the option, um, either or. If you want to, great. If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, if if you don't, then no hard feelings. I I, the main thing, the main objective here is that we get reunited, um, you know, and I think that's the way it went down, wasn't it, Susan? Yeah, I, you know, I think it was a very, um, a very gentle welcome, and it was, it was thrilling, you know, to meet them. It was thrilling to see uh, Julia's daughter see her perform for the first time. That was a, that was one of the highlights for me to be, you know, there in that room, um, and then to watch. Dan and and Julia um, really dig into everything they love: music, comedy, um, everything you know that felt kind of kind of seamless and wonderful. And one of the things I loved in the interview with them, the main interview with them, that didn't make it into the film, but that I think you'll acknowledge, Julia, is that they said that you know it was it was kind of great that they got to meet up with you as an adult because. You missed out on a lot of the bad stuff they felt about themselves, you know. <laughs> yeah. As, as ordinary teenagers, and you know the pleasure of meeting you, you know, and coming to you as adults, where you know they felt more, both more confident and more sense of who they are, um, and to be able to enjoy you, and at the same time, um, share stuff with you and learn from you in ways that um, were were unique in in a parent-child role. So I think, you know, no one wants estrangement, but I think what what I heard from them that was really heartening was the positive of the of you 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 being back in their lives and they're framing it in a way that made the bridge really easy to cross. And um I, that moved me so deeply. Um it, yeah, it I felt like it, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go no, go, go ahead. ahead <laughs> No, no, I, no I, I, you're the guest. I insist. I insist. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that uh, uh, you know, I think like most people who get to know a trans person, you know, from a distance, and if you don't know one, uh, it's strange and 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 odd, and, and it's like, what is this person doing? And then when you get to know the person, you you walk away go, hmm, they're just like me. You know, there's nothing different or strange or odd about them. Uh, uh, and I think that's kind of, in a way, what happened with the kids, too. Yeah, I have to say, Julia, you know, because I've only, and obviously I've met you only verbally over, over airways, but it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, I don't see you when I see the your past self. I mean, that to me is someone else. I don't see that person, and I don't, I don't even relate to you as a transgender woman, I relate to you as a woman um, because that's well, the I, only I, Julia I know. I look at that person too, and I know, and it's, I've had this conversation with Susan and a number of other people. I know it's me. I know I was there, but I don't feel a connection to that person. Uh, and it's, I know that sounds strange, but uh, that's the truth. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. Um, in the in the film, um, it feels like that each of your kids, your your son and your daughter, have are kind of on a little bit of a different path in 
reconnecting with you. I mean, uh, and levels of their full embrace and understanding. It, I mean, is that is that true, or is that just a misconception on my uh, part? No, it's 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 a percep- It's a good perception on your part. Uh, yeah. Now my daughter's. Uh, um, how can I say that she's a free spirit and. She's got other interests, and at this stage of her life, you know, I'm my son. On the other hand, uh, we share so much in common uh, that we speak, you know, at least once a week, usually for about an hour at a time, um, and we cover all kinds of things. And he's turned me on to uh, some comedy that he likes, the music he likes, and vice versa. So uh, we talk film, we talk politics, we talk, you know, the things that parents and their children talk about. He's a very cool guy. He is he is absolutely adorable and he is absolutely charming in the film. Um and I really I really enjoyed his um his stand up that he did as as part of the mm-hmm. movie. Um it was mm-hmm. it was really um great to see him do that. And it's ironic he I won't give away the material because I want people to see it fresh seeing it, but he, he made an illusion in his, his bit about um, gay people, and 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 he used them as an analogy, and the audience kind of didn't get it. I mean, there were some chuckles to it, but they didn't really get the the full impact. And then later, the club owner was saying, "Yo, you need to turn that around. You need to make that about straight people because they relate to straight people and they get that." And I just it impressed me because I really thought your front your son's approach was the right approach. Um, but well, I found it characteristic of his age that if he was talking to right. a group of people his age, they would have gotten it the way he was saying it. And I don't know if you saw Dan's reaction to the call. <laughs> I did. <laughs> there was an eye roll there that went way back inside his head. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Dan Dan is, uh, is smart enough to know when to keep his mouth shut. I, I just to. saw that as, you know, Boomer tells millennial, and I'm like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> right, right. But he kept his cool. I mean, he was fine. Yeah. Give, him, give him credit but the for eye that. Roll gave, the eye roll said it all, yeah. Let me talk to did, Susan for find, just a second. Well, wait, before you do that, Brody, I just want to make one last point mm-hmm. on that. I did find that fascinating because the Boomer versus um, millennial um, – concept I think is a, a thing there in terms of um, I don't think millennials get how new and different these identities are to older audiences. They they still need to be told that gay people can't just have sex with a lot of women and turn straight. I, you know, so I just found right. that there was sort of a subtext to that that whole piece that I found kind of actually generationally fascinating. So go ahead, Brody. Sorry. And, go ahead, Julia. Finish up because I know you want. No, to no. I was just going to gonna say, and I think I'm for, I'm blessed in a way that I kind of act like a bridge to those generations because it happened to me so late in life that I could speak to my generation and speak to a, a, you know the millennials too. Uh, so oh, yeah. that's all I was going to add. That's it. That's it. No. Yeah. Go ahead, Brody. I I credit that in part to you know, you're being able to bridge the, the gap in all the years that you were teaching school because that gives you a, a real sure. based understanding, you know, between the two. So, you know, and, and it's always usually the role of a teacher, at least, and I know because 
I instruct in journalism, that's just kind of where it's at. Susan, let me ask yeah. you this, because I've got lots of friends who are filmmakers. Um, yeah, and I like the nuts and bolts. Okay. Um, it looked like you were very minimalistic. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get the impression that you were there, you know, with, you know, <laughs> a grip, a gaffer, a sound man, you know, <laughs> a light kit, lighting, everything. I, it, it seemed to me that you, you used some really high-end quality gear, and, you know, I was just kind of impressed, you know, with that. And then, you know, a little bit about the edit, because the editing is so tight on this thing. I'm I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, I was just curious. What I mean, how, when you were filming, you, it didn't it didn't appear to me that there was a big crew. It just seemed to me that it was like maybe you and one other person, you know, and, and not a lot of gear that went with that. Uh-huh. And then you followed up with a really good edit, by the way. Thank you. Um, the five year journey, and we were shooting right up until um, I think our last shoot, Julia, was the. Uh, your return to a right, Country Rising Star, um, and that yes, was right after. So that that right. was uh-huh. um, two years what, ago. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, you know, I teach at uh, NYU in the film school, and I have lots and lots of um, in that network um, wonderful resources, which include equipment and uh, filmmakers. Um, shooters and many of them former students of mine so the the rotation of the of the crew was um from this family of um people that i mentored who came back to help me make this film and we shot on mostly uh sony uh i had wonderful um wonderful sound people because sound is so important um mm-hmm. And we kept it very simple. Some of them, you know, the more intimate um, shoots were one camera. As you could see, several were two and three. Um, but it was simple, and it was really based on who was available to shoot and um, who I could round up. And this really generous collection of shooters who came from a real close-knit family of either folks that I had taught or were sort of in that, in the realm of, of NYU Tisch. So very much supported by that. And our, and our editing occurred in Edit Suite at Tisch. Um, my editor, um, Marsha Moore McKeever, uh, is primarily a sound editor. And um, I worked with her really closely. We, we sat in the Edit Suite every, for every session. I brought in, you know, really complex notes for what I wanted to accomplish and spent a lot of time with the footage. And then we, we played with it. We played with it and played with it until we found what we wanted for a certain sequence and worked with a structure that seemed to flow. And, you know, it's, it's an organic, intuitive process. And I, I loved the editing process. I didn't, you know, I didn't give it to an editor and walk away. I was very hands-on mm-hmm. throughout the whole process. And um, I, loved, I loved that very, very much. I really admire Marsha's talent as an editor, but it was, you know, we worked together. It was a, a, a real team. And I brought um, our composer in very early in the process. So he was scoring. Um, we didn't have, ever, we never had a temp score. He was scoring um, our rough cut. I mean, he was really involved very early on in helping find 
the rhythm of the film and a lot of the storytelling and really wonderfully willing to to go back and work on cues over and over. He's just a terrific man. Um, Matt Hutchinson is based in L.A. Um, our animator, um, Sam Ross, also out of Tish, um, and hugely gifted and um, just a joy to work with and just began you know talking to him about the style that I was looking for and the image for Julia and finding sequences that wanted to be animated and rhythmically where they would show up in the film in terms of you know opening up the story so that you know because when you have two people sitting on a sofa talking for a long period of time visually it becomes stilted and you want to find another place to go so you know the animation Mm -hmm. arrives where it needs to you know to kind of open up the visual storytelling but um you know, every every step of the way was intuitive and, um, you know, just a lot of hard work, but always guided by a sense of wanting to be really honest um, and tell the story that is true to Julia's journey. And we had, you know, all kinds of expectations early on. I've told Julia this before. You know, when you do an indie doc, you have to raise money um, by telling people in advance uh, five years before you start shooting, <laughs> it feels like you know <laughs> what you're going to shoot when you have no idea, you know, ultimately where you're going to be taken, you know, by by the what circumstances of your character's life. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was writing these 20-page proposals and pitching a film that I thought, you know, might be the journey. I thought might be the path, and there's a certain amount of bullshit in that because you have to, um, you know, imagine, but um, Ultimately, all that matters is, you know, being very drawn to what feels most alive and most organic to the true story. And that that's the Geiger counter, you know, of hours and hours and hours and hours of, of looking at this footage and figuring out what is the sequence that matters and then cooking it down and cooking it down and cooking it down to what is the essence of that scene. For example, the scene with um, Julia's, uh, conversation. She's listening to the conversation that I had with um, Kate, and that actual phone call was an hour and a half. Um, I had scheduled that call mm. four times, so I had my sound man there on the phone, ready, you know, to record it. Four times it got canceled and canceled and canceled. So by the by the fourth time, we were able to record it. Um, and then finding what is the heart of that conversation, and um, then we played mm-hmm. that, you know, that sequence, um, that whole conversation for Julia, and then cooking that down, of course, to you know what was the, what were the beats within that that right. that mattered the most, and, that moves the story along. I, I just want to point that out for people who haven't seen the film. Kate is Julia's third wife, um, and there is a very poignant part of the film where. That sound so sorted. I was thinking a little Taylor. That's that's a rank amateur I that, know, on that scale. Just, you know, just to let them know that I stopped. I stopped at the third one. Okay, it didn't go beyond that. Yeah, that, well, that gets so into far. the strike three or out category. Uh, yeah. Susan, you're, you're hello. You're crew. So far, she's not dead. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Yeah, right. Your crew, Susan, props to your editor, props to your sound. Uh, the shooters were excellent. Uh, the editor did a magnificent job. I'm glad he worked with you. You, you obviously she. had – she, well, that's even better. 
she she obviously was really tuned in to what you were trying to do. So just congratulations to your crew. It was really a yeah. really fine effort. Thank you. So um, we're we're starting to run out of time. We only have four minutes left, folks. Um, and I want to ask Julia and Susan together um, what people are seeing the film, um, and now the film is taking on a life of its own. What is the major idea takeaway that you are hoping to hear out of people's mouths after they see the film? Susan, you go go first. Um, you know, I, we've seen some reviews that are echoing this, um, and it and it you know it, it speaks directly to what Julia was just saying about her reunion with her kids and uh, the idea that um, you know she's just like everybody else. She's just like everybody else, but she's also someone that you really want to hang out with. And I know that both of you feel that. Um, and I think the the joy of this film and the and the journey of this film is that you leave the theater um, feeling like you know Julia and that you you want more of her and you want more of her whether that's I wish I knew this person uh, I wish I knew someone like this person I can't wait to see what else she's doing um, I think you know we open doors to. I hope, you know, a lot of great professional opportunities for Julia. I think she should be, you know, all over the place as an actress. I'm really encouraging, you know, that she connects with casting directors because I think she's a phenomenal actress, and I think she can inhabit all kinds of roles. Um, But what I want people to take away is um, a great affection for Julia and the ability to expand their own consciousness in every way. And Julia, one minute. Well, what, what, what is like your takeaway? I'd like, you know, this is a story. And like all stories, uh, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I want people to know that there's hope. You know, the, the, the story is, is bumpy at times. It's joyous at times. And, you know, and that it's not just isolated to my life. You can have that in your life. When you walk through that door of your own truth and come out the other side, you look back at all the, the sturm and drang that you went through and you go, what the hell was I so worried about? Look at how happy I am. You can have that. Take that step. It's fearful. It's scary as hell. But when you come out the other side, you know what? You're going to be a whole lot better off for it. Perfect. And so have we been. Thank you guys for joining us today. I just have one, one final note, which is please invite your audiences to find us at juliascottystory.com. That's where you can connect with all of our social media and stay in touch with the journey of the film. Perfect. And we from LGBT Radio will see you next week. And uh, watch that movie. Find it, find it, find it. And I can't wait for Julia Scotty, the sitcom. has got to come out sometime, (laughs) folks. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Okay. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.